serious diseases on Farah and his household because of Abraham's wife, Sarai. So Farah summoned Abraham. What have you done to me, he said. Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister? So that I took her to be my wife. Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. Then Pharaoh gave orders about Abraham to his men, and they sent him on his way with his wife and everything he had. Um, we'll just pray before David comes up, so we can bow our heads. Our Father in heaven, we just pray as David comes to deliver uh, his message from your word. We pray that the Holy Spirit will speak through him, that our ears will be opened, and most especially that our hearts will be open to whatever it is that you are saying to us through David. So we just pray that you bless his word now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, thank you very much for your welcome. Um, so let me share with you what the plan is for this week. Um, we're going to, um, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, have three expositions from the same passage. So the passage isn't changing, but we're going to ask you to imagine yourselves into different contexts. And so what I'm going to do today is to preach um, from Genesis 12 to you as if you were a group of theological students. So far, so easy. Um, <laughs> in East Africa. So I'm preaching to you as if you were in Nairobi um, and trying to preach a message that would be um, applicable to you and specific to that context. And then the days that follow, uh, the other preachers will be introducing different contexts. So we're hoping to model a little bit of um, contextualization. And if you want to know what that is, you need to sign up for my Mission Perspectives class. So Genesis 12 in Nairobi. So when I first arrived here uh, in your country, I spent some time learning language and learning some Swahili. You know that my Swahili is very bad, um, but at least I tried. Um, one of the things that I struggled with when I was first learning language was to understand the difference between um, two questions, umetoko wapi and unakawapi, which, as you know, mean... Um, where do you come from and where are you staying or where do you live? And the reason those two questions are complicated for me as Mzungu, as a white fella, uh, is because I don't hear any difference between those two questions. So where I belong and where I stay, they're pretty much the same thing. Um, but for you, those questions are profoundly different uh, where you come from, umetokawapi, is about your roots, it's about your belonging, your identity really. Whereas unakawapi is wh where are you living at the moment, where are you staying, that's a much more temporary kind of thing. And while I was confused about that, um, thinking about those two questions and the difference between them, has really helped me to understand a bit more what's going on in Genesis chapter 12 and what's happening to Abraham. So I've learned that uh, it's very important for me to introduce myself in Kenya. Uh, and when I introduce myself, uh, I share my names with you. My names are David Williams. And because I'm a believer, I would go on and say, my names are David Williams. 
I'm born again. I love the Lord Jesus as my personal saviour. And when you introduce yourself to me, uh, you might come and say to me, Hi, my name's um, Dominic Washira Maina. I'm from Moranga. Uh, I'm born again, and I love the Lord Jesus as my personal saviour. Now, when Dominic Washira Maina from Moranga introduces himself to me, he's actually shared much more information about himself than I've shared when I've said that my names are David Williams. Because what Washira has done you all know this, is he's shared with me his name, his father's name, his ethnicity, Kikuyu, and not only that he's Kikuyu, but that he's Kikuyu from Moranga. And that's where his roots are, that's where his land is, that's where he belongs. And so in that little introduction, Washira's told me really who he is at a really deep level and where his roots and his belonging is. And I think that's exactly what's going on for Abraham. And through the book of Genesis, we see that the people in the book of Genesis identify themselves in the same kind of way. They have a sense of belonging that is rooted into land. And their land links them to an ethnic or tribal identity and their ethnic or tribal identity and their land also links them in to a cosmology or a set of gods, traditionally. And if you move, you move to a different land, you move to a different set of gods and a different sense of belonging. So your identity in Genesis, as in Kenya, is deeply rooted in your land and your family and your ethnic identity. Now that's really helped me to understand what's going on in in Genesis 12 because I have to confess, as a Mzungu, as a white fella, when I read Genesis 12 and those opening verses, uh, what I hear is God saying to Abraham, I want you to move house. Now I've moved house quite a lot in my life. Moving house involves a bit of turmoil You know, you have to pack your things into boxes and put them in a truck, drive them to another place and unpack them again. But you know that God is asking Abraham to do much more than just move house. This is not about relocation. Abraham's very identity is defined by his land and his family and his ethnicity or his tribe. And so when God says, I want you, Genesis 12, 1 to 3, I want you to leave your land, your kindred, and your father's house and go to the place that I'll show you. God is asking Abraham to abandon everything that define him at a really profound level. His whole self-understanding of himself is being taken away. And he doesn't even know where he's going. So he's going to be, he's told to get up and travel, but he doesn't yet know where he's going to. I will show you the land. So you can imagine the conversation going on between Abraham and Sarai. Sarai's saying, so Abraham, we're leaving. So where are we going? Oh, you don't know yet. So what should I pack? You know, sandals or snowshoes? You know, be helpful to know. But they don't know where they're going yet because God has not shown that to them. 
So God's taking away from Abraham the very things that give him his identity, but God is then going to give each of those things back to him as a gift of grace, as a gift from God, defined by God. So God is taking something away from Abraham, but then he's giving all of those things back, but as a gift and as defined by God. So Abraham is being given a new identity, a gift of grace defined by God. God is going to give him a land. He's going to give him a new family. And out of that family, he's going to create a new tribe, a new nation, a new people. And The startling thing is that as we keep reading the story in the book of Genesis, um, Abraham in his lifetime actually receives a tiny amount of that promise. And in the letter to the Hebrews, the writer makes that clear that uh, Abraham in his lifetime, actually the promise is, is barely fulfilled. So you think about what Abraham is given during his lifetime... You know, it's a big promise, isn't it? Land, new nation, new family. What he actually has is a burial plot for his wife. And one scraggy little kid called Isaac. Now, the burial plot is really significant because you all know that where you belong defines where you're buried. So if you're from Moranga, your body will be buried in Moranga. And so when Abraham buries Sarah in this little plot of land in Canaan, he's making a profound statement that this is now where he belongs. He doesn't do what we would expect and to put her body in a matatu and take it back to Ur of the Chaldees. Uh, This is a statement of faith that this is the land where Abraham now belongs. And, of course, the gift of the child, the gift of Isaac, is a miracle. It's God's gift of grace. So later in the story, we're supposed to imagine the doors of the maternity ward opening and this incredibly elderly woman coming in on her, you know, on her walking frame. And the nurses look up from the nursing statement and they see this old lady coming in, and they say, oh, have you come to see maybe your granddaughter has given birth to a great-grandchild? And she goes, no, dear, I've come to have a baby. (laughs) Uh, You can see the nurses whispering to each other, she's escaped from the psychogeriatric unit. (laughs) And then, to their amazement, this 90-year-old woman hops up onto the bed and gives birth to a child. It's a miracle. It's the child of a miracle, the child of promise, and it's through this child, Isaac, that God is going to build a new tribe and create a new nation that's going to fulfill his promise. Now, why is God doing all of that? Well, Genesis 12, 1 and 3, so that through Abraham, God will be able to bring his blessing to all the nations. So this is God's plan to rescue the world following the disaster of Genesis chapter 3. 
And so through Abraham, all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. Whoever blesses you will be blessed and whoever curses you will be cursed. And actually the second half of Genesis 12 retells the story in reverse. So three promises, land, family, nation, new tribe. That's the promise given to Abraham by gift of grace. Abraham arrives in the promised land, then there's a famine. And what happens in the second half of the chapter is that Abraham systematically abandons all the promises that God has given to him. So he leaves the land, which he's been promised. He abandons his wife to Pharaoh's Pharaoh's harem, the wife who is going to be the mother who is the child of the promise. And what happens? Well, there's no blessing, is there? And Pharaoh's whole family sits under God's curse because of Abraham. It's a startling illustration right in Genesis chapter 12 of God fulfilling the promise that he's made. And I want to suggest to you that the work that God is doing in Abraham and through Abraham is exactly the same work that God is doing in us and through us as God's people today. God is doing the same work in us in that he invites us as his children to find our identity as a gift of grace in the Lord Jesus Christ. We are people who are called to leave our family, our kindred and our father's house and find a new identity in Jesus as Jesus' people. And the purpose of that is the same purpose as God's purpose for Abraham, so that through us, God would bring his rescue to all the nations of the world. What that means for us then is that we are, if you like, the Jesus tribe. We are the Jesus people. Now, I have to confess, I'm a Mzungu, I'm a white fella. I don't really understand tribe and ethnicity very well. But I've been here in Kenya long enough to know that tribe and ethnicity is a really big deal. And inter-ethnic tribal violence and strife has been an enduring issue in this country for a very long time. And we as God's people have something very important to say into this whole debate. We are the Jesus tribe. We are people who have been united by our identity in Christ. Another word for the Jesus tribe is the church. But that's all it is, a community of people who've been gathered around Jesus by his word and through his spirit to belong to him. And in the New Testament, this identity as people who belong to Jesus by a gift of grace is supposed to define us at the deepest and most profound level. Now what that means is that if you are a Luo Christian, you owe greater loyalty and belonging and identity to a Kikuyu Christian than you do to a Luo non-Christian. 
You are a new people, a new people of God. And this new community defines us at the most profound level. And so the Jesus tribe, the church, should be a community that cuts right through barriers of ethnicity and tribalism. How tragic then that our churches in this country are still so divided on tribal grounds. That even in a multicultural city like Nairobi, people still choose to worship in English in mono-tribal church communities. That's a tragedy. I'll know that um, tribalism has ended in the church in Kenya when a Luo diocese appoints a Kikuyu bishop because he or she is the best person for the job. But I can see you smiling and thinking, that will never happen. Isn't that sad? Isn't that sad that we haven't reached that place where our identity is defined in Jesus? Now, there are complicated things that we need to also add into this story. Because while the Bible clearly does um, unite us as God's people around Jesus and destroys barriers of ethnicity and tribalism, at the same time, the Bible also preserves our language differences. And so the language Uh, that we worship God in can be the language of Kikuyu or Luo or Kikamba or Maasai. And preserving that language distinction and that language diversity while at the same time breaking down the barriers of tribe and ethnicity I think is one of the great challenges that we face as God's people in Kenya in the 21st century. And the significance of that And the importance of that issue can only be highlighted by the post-election violence that we experienced in 2007, when our country was torn apart by ethnic strife after the general election. And our job as God's people is to be the Jesus tribe into that story and to show what it means to be a people who find their identity as a gift of grace in the Lord Jesus Christ. Not for us to be proud or smug, but for us to bring God's rich blessing to the nations and to his world. Let me pray that God would help us to do that. (coughs) Heavenly Father, thank you that uh, you form us as new people in the Lord Jesus, that you give us a new identity as a gift of grace as your people. We are the Jesus tribe and we pray that you would help us to be the Jesus tribe in this great country of Kenya. And We pray in his name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for that incredible insight into a different culture so, so different from our own. Um, let's stand as the Jesus tribe in Melbourne in the 21st century from many different